the Green Room with Michelle Truman, brought to you by SOS Global. Our guests are the industry's hidden leaders who never have time to even find the Green Room, and we have their stories. Today, we're in the Green Room with Army Ranger, motivational speaker, Nashville recording star, best-selling author of Get It On, What It Means to Lead the Way, and finally, Emmy-winning producer, welcome Kenny Thomas. Man, that's a mouthful, huh? Oh my gosh. I had to read it slow. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I like the part about the Nashville recording star. That sounds yeah. good. I'll yeah. t- I-, I want that badge. Like, you know how you go to all these speaking conferences and they have those ridiculous, like you see the people and it's, they put those ribbons on, it says presenter, sponsor, speaker. I just want one that says star or, or, or a badge that says talent. talent. That's my favorite one. <laughs> talent. You got something they don't. I've actually had the opportunity to see you as a keynote speaker. And what is really fun to be in the audience is you can tell when you have a great speaker because nobody's checking their phone. Nobody's checking the mail. Nobody's playing online games. Nobody's looking at social media or swiping left. And it, it always intrigues me how they stop and they listen to this, this story about the Mogadishu battle, and and we all really know it as the Black Hawk Down movie. Why do you think after so many years that that battle still has so much intrigue? Um, you know, that's a good question. Quite honestly, Michelle, I don't think that it's that particular battle that has the intrigue. I think you, you hit on it when you said the story. I'm not up there doing a recount of the battle of Black Hawk Down. I'm telling a story about the guys around me. That story is timeless. And, and if you've heard the speech and you have, you've heard me at the beginning say it's no different than the stories your grandpa would have told you about World War II or my father in Vietnam or my friends in Afghanistan. It's that the links that people will go to for each other. When you, I think Black Hawk Down, because it is known, that's sort of the horse that I get to ride into the arena, but it's really about the message that I brought. And I, I really think it, it's not the story of Black Hawk Down. That, that's over two decades old when you think about it. Now, you think about when you and I were in high school, Vietnam seemed ancient, further away than the battle my dad fought, which was I thought was an ancient history thing. So I don't really think that it is Black Hawk Down. I believe that it's the story of the guys. I think that that is a timeless story and it's inspiring to people. Well, I, I, but I got to ask the question, how close is the movie to really what happened on the ground, what you were experiencing? You know, I think that the movie did a really good job of the, the attention to detail was fantastic. A lot of people don't know that the, a lot, uh, quite a few of the pilots that flew the movie were the same guys. And it was funny, we, the story I love telling about that was we got to meet uh, Ridley Scott at the uh, premiere. And Ridley was telling the story because I didn't even know that guys on the set had fought in the battle. And what ended up happening is, is these pilots got to come over there with their helicopters because the Army did that right. But then a bunch of the guys, the Rangers, just sort of showed up on the set out, out in Morocco. And so Ridley Scott's telling the story about how he finds out that there were real people. He said, I was, there's a scene in the movie where one of the little birds lands by the crash and the pilot jumps out of the little bird and runs over to the crash and he's helping pull wounded people out of the crash so ridley scott is wanting to he wants to kind of block the shot and figure out how it's going to go down he's talking to the pilot he says all right how do you how are you going to do this he says, well i think i'm going to land it right here and then i'm going to run out i'm going to pull the guy i'm going to throw him over my lap and i will we'll just take off from there 
And he goes, oh, you're just going to throw them over your lap. Well, you're not going to put them in the back? And he goes, no, nah, I think I'm just going to throw them on my lap. He goes, well, is that how that guy would have done it? And he goes, yeah, I think so. And he flies away. And the military advisor standing there laughing. And Ridley goes, what are you laughing at? He goes, you know, that's Carl Meyer. Carl, he's a nice guy. He goes, no, he is the guy that did it in the battle. He brings everybody back down. And he asks, how many people were actually in this fight? And about 15 people raised their hand. And so what he did was it changed the way he shot the movie. He, they put the movie on hold and they brought in more cameras. They brought in a whole platoon of rangers because the stuntmen wouldn't do the roping scenes with the pilots because they were too crazy, they said, and um, came in and just said, here's the building that we bought. They bought it in Morocco and we can do whatever we want with this building. How would you hit this? And that's how they did it. So they made it. They did it just like they would have done a real raid. That's pretty impressive how they really work together to come up with such a project that is realistic, that everybody said, yeah, that's how it worked. That's how we would have done it. That's how it was. Correct. That's And I mean, they have to take, they've got to do some things to kind of condense it. Like what I always make sure people know is that they change the names all around. And they do that because there's a lawyer back there telling them you can't, <laughs> the names of the real people in the exact positions they were in because they'll come back and bite you. So they just shift everybody's names around. Like there's a Thomas in the movie, but he's riding on the vehicles. I, I was never on the vehicles. There's a Matt Eversman, who's the lead character of the movie. Matt was on the vehicles, but he was never at the crash site. But in the movie, he's at the crash. So they just kind of move everything around. But you can still kind of follow who you were. Yeah, you can follow. Uh, if you wanted to know like where my squad was, I would always tell you it was based off of that main character's squad. Like we, we did the exact same thing that he did. Except for it really changed your life. You know, what you came out of, who you were before you went into that battle, and what you came out later, and who you become. How did it really reflect for the rest of your life and how you view things? That's a good question. Obviously, that's a question that's evolved. Like If you had talked to me when I first started doing speaking, and you had said, well, how has it changed? It's obviously the value of the people on your left and your right. Because that's really the core of what I talk about is the links that people will go to for each other. And that's something that as a ranger, that accountability, that's the word, the accountability to the people around you is something you do not take for granted. And it's something you take very seriously. You know, you're not going to call in sick. You're not going to not show up. We're not going to make an excuse. We're going to be there for you. And that, that mindset, though, Michelle, of that absolute where I will never leave a fallen comrade and I'm going to be there for you no matter what, that, that mindset, what I learned as it evolved through my life is it comes at a price because you hold yourself to a very high standard of accountability. And that's not always reciprocated. And the real challenge there, and I'm hoping you can follow me here, is when people have problems and they ha they come to you with what they think is tough in life, your first response to them in your head is to look at them and go, wow, that's a problem for you. And, and you want to tell them no one's shooting at you. Most people though, that's not a, it's, it's a, it's a frame of reference that we have, but it's not fair to hold other people to that. And it took me a long time to have that sort of empathy where I had to learn that most people don't even understand what that means to be shot at. So you can't tell them that their problems aren't important. Uh, that, that one took a minute for me to figure out. I, I think we're, and then if you evolve to it now, 
and you were to ask me what have I taken from that battle, I'll, I'll tell you, it might be an odd thing for people to hear, but I, I am an absolute expert on fear and I'm an absolute expert on death. And when you've been that close to both of those at the core level, like as real as it gets, neither one of them have a grip on you anymore, especially the fear of death. And it changes the way you live your life. It took me a good 10 or 15 years of just sort of figuring it out, like, why is it that things don't bother me? Why is it that I'm just, I'm good with the outcome? And it's that fear that death and wealth or not working out the way you want it to work out, it just isn't there. And if you were to talk to a lot of all my buddies, we all have that same mentality. And again, that comes at a price. Your ability to be uh, empathetic, intimate, passionate, that's a challenge. You got to break through that one, if that makes sense. Well, let's bring you forward. Let's jump into what's happening now. And I know your book really focuses on leadership. So looking at what companies are facing now, companies that are working from home, companies that are trying to now start to put everything back together. How do we continue to lead and inspire? Clearly nobody, like you said, nobody's shooting at us, but how do we inspire under these circumstances? How do we come together and continue to lead? How? That's the big question now. And I'm gathering the people who are going to be listening to this podcast are all consider themselves leaders or at the very least in a leadership position. And it's how do you continue to lead? We in the Rangers, in the special operations community, we're so good at what we do, not because we have all these great gear and all these you know great funding. It's because we do the basics well. We understand that when people get overwhelmed, oh my gosh, how do I do, how am I going to get through this? Log and get them on the other and keep them activated and keep them engaged and keep them motivated. How am I going to do this? And what gets people stuck, Michelle, is they get overwhelmed and they don't, they have too many choices and they don't know what to do. I always make this point. I'm like, so what we do is we have this saying, it's called keep it simple, stupid. So we don't want you to get overwhelmed when something goes down. When the helicopter gets shot out of the sky and it's all spiraling out and you're watching this happen and you're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? You really only have three choices. Let's just start there. And, and if I'm talking to a college kid who's freaking out about what they're going to do about graduation and their jobs, no one's going to hire us because the economy is going to tank. If I'm talking to company leaders who are trying to figure out how to keep their people motivated, I'm like, okay, let's just start three options. You can lead. You can follow or you get out of the way. That's it. Now, that's simple right there. The leaders that are listening to this podcast are not of the mindset, get out of the way. In other words, don't become part of the problem. So we lead and we follow. Now, leading, how do we keep that simple? Well, you just set the example for others to follow. Now, what would you like to see in this situation? And then that's the person you go out and be. What I've been doing is I know what I need to do. I know the what is I've got to lead for people to accomplish the mission and get them through this and keep them positive and keep them motivated and let them understand they've got nothing to fear. Now, the how I do that is part of the whole troop leading and planning procedures. So what I've been doing is I've been hitting up people who I respect, like a lot of the students from the downrange course that we run, the leadership course, these are heads of corporations and businesses, and I've been hitting them up, like, what are you guys doing? Then I'll come up with options and then I'll pick the best option. And that's what I'm going to end up doing. The what we need to do is take charge of the situation and inspire people to accomplish the mission and set the example for others to follow. That's easy. We got to leave, we got to follow, or we get out of the way. Now, how we do that, that's a brilliant think tank. We could all get together and say, okay, what's working? 
because what you all you're seeing it just like I'm seeing it. There's a bash of emails coming out that's just sort of like it's our state of the union. Here's what we're doing, and we're here with you. We've always been there with you. You know, I, you know, I could do without those emails. I'm good to go. But every now and then, somebody's got something to say that really matters and it really makes a difference and really impacts. And I think where I'll be going with it is I'm gonna probably get out there and say, hey guys, earned any credibility at all. I think you all know I'm not afraid of death and I'm not afraid of fear. I know what to do in this situation. Follow me. And I think we need more people like that that can stand up because we're. I'm watching it. I'm watching all these different companies just sort of try and do something. But really all they're doing is just juggling. Well, and something that's really, I think, bothered me the most is the social distancing has encouraged colleagues, neighbors, you know, to really avoid each other. And coming from your point of view as a ranger who has literally put his life on the line with a motto of rangers lead the way, how do we inspire putting our communities back together when you still have government entities saying, oh, no, 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 social distancing, you know, you, you shouldn't be helping, yeah. you actually not help your neighbor. How do we overcome that that's to a, back together? That's a good point. And right now, what you have is it's this window of opportunity. Because people are somewhat united in their isolation. Uh, and it's every now and then a nation comes together through its diversities and its problems and its challenges. The people will, will unite. This is one of them. You saw it at 9-11. You saw it uh, when President Obama was first elected. The country felt good about itself for, for electing the first black president. And uh, don't believe that many presidents or leaders have understood that moment and actually used it to inspire people as best they could. Because what will happen, Michelle, mark my words, as this thing slogs along, like we're a month into it, and people are sort of you know, trying to stay positive, they understand that this is unprecedented, well, hey, we're all united, however we're divided, but as this thing slogs along and people are starting to struggle, a save yourself mentality will begin to infect the nation. And we have to do, the people who lead, which is us, have to do everything we can to combat that through positivity and encouragement and motivation and inspiration. How do we do that? So that when the day comes and they say, okay, all clear, cease fire, everybody's come on out of your holes. How do we get people to come back and engage? We're wired for stories. So I'm going to tell you a quick story about uh, a buddy of mine, Matt Everson. Matt Everson was in this firefight in Mogadishu in the Black Hawk Down. In fact, the main character of the movie is based off of Matt. And Matt, when I asked him about his two biggest leadership challenges, I said, what was your biggest leadership challenge in your life? And he says, you know, Kenny, I had two. And Matt said his first one was in that firefight. He was the guy who had uh, Todd Blackburn fell out of his helicopter. And Matt had to, as soon as Matt gets to the ground, one, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're a block off target. He's got a guy who's critically wounded and they're already under fire. So he's just overwhelmed. And you know what he did is he turned to his two team leaders and those guys just took charge. They started evacuating the uh, Todd Blackburn. They started putting them where they needed to be. They started returning fire so that Matt could concentrate on making sense of the bigger picture and get uh, him linked back up with the main element so that he could do his thing. Because that was one of my biggest challenges. Like, what was the second one? The second challenge came years later. He was a first sergeant in charge of a whole company of people in Iraq. It was a grueling 16, 13 or 16 month deployment. I forget what he told me, but his, as it went on, I would start one week, someone would get hit with a roadside bomb and you would lose somebody. 
and everybody would be depressed. And then you had to try and get them fired back up. You know, you got to believe in this mission. You got to believe why we're here. You got to be motivated. This is going to work. We're doing something purposeful. And you had to fire them up. And it was Groundhog Day. Every single day was the same routine. And then, bam, someone gets killed or wounded with a roadside bomb. And his morale started tanking. My biggest leadership challenge was how did I inspire people to get through that, to push through it and keep them unified and believe in taking care of one another? And you know what he did? I said, what what do you do? I went back to the Ranger Handbook, man. And it said, get to know your people and show them that you care. When they know you care, they're not going to care until they know you care about them. And he goes, and I started going to every single person in the company, which is about 130 men and women. Went to every single one of them. I sat down with them at Chow. I sat down with them in the evening. I got to know their kids' names. I got to know their wife's names, their husband's names, their family. I just got to know them again so that they believed me. And they knew that I cared about them when I got up there and told them, man, we got to, we got to pull together. So that when week, you know, whatever it is, 68 or month 13 comes along, we were still a unit. I believe the same thing has to happen with the nation. Right now, there's a window of opportunity. People are united in their isolation. Who is going to be the person that steps up? Because when we need you is when it's hard. We don't need you when it's easy. I mark my words in about a month from now. When it's not the way that you want it to go, people are going to start bitching and moaning and complaining and morale is going to start tanking. And it's going to be up to us, the motivators and the inspirers, to keep people focused and bring them back together so that when they give the all clear sign, we're not a divided nation. Well, that brings me to your music. You know, that was a long answer, but I thought it, it sounded pretty good to me. I, I, but I, it, it brings me right into that music again in the sports creation business. And how important is that music to set the tone and, and to see our sports teams and to rally, you know, but from what you're saying, and I, and I believe that too, is that music really inspires. Music can set that tone. Music can overcome. How important do you feel? I mean, what what has this time given you time to do with your music and, and what's on the horizon for your music? Yeah, agree, agreed. Certainly no one's going to argue with you that music has the ability to reach people uh, in a manner that nothing else can. I, I always play a song after my story. Probably not going to see many keynote speakers get up there and pick up a guitar. And, and the way that I introduce it is, man, I, I don't know how it does it. I just know music reaches people differently. That's why I always sing this song. And it wraps it up well. Yes, we've got to keep putting songs out there. We've got to keep putting music. And I think music that's good for the soul or music that's happy, music that gets people thinking positively, gets their feet tapped, just something to get them through it. Here's here's my thought on sports. When you take a look at sports and the great human achievement, we draw inspiration from that. And we rally behind our team. And that brings people together. It's a shame that the Olympics aren't going to go down because I really think that would have helped bring this country together if, you know, one, say the women's soccer team had some amazing run. And we, the USA, we all get behind it because it rallies people together. But sports, you know, we always talk about how sports builds character. I believe that it's further down the line on the just building. I think what sports does is it reveals character because you and I both know athletes that have character and there's athletes that do not have character. They just got a lot of talent. The character is what we need right now. And those would be, man, where are the Derek Jeters when you need them? And the, the challenge is the stadium's dark. I think we need it. I think we need something to rally. I don't know 
how you do that, but I think it comes when the all clear goes and the all clear signals up. You get cities supporting their teams again, and you get a country supporting its athletes again, and you get songs out there in the meantime to get you through it. Well, let me ask you one wrap-up question because it's kind of fun to ask you because you see so many different situations and parts of the country and groups that you talk to. What has been the best story of the groups that you you know spoke to, and what happened in that experience? Oh man, if you ask me singing, that would be an easy one. Uh, I would just say, hey, what's the coolest place you've ever sung about Yankee Stadium? Thank you very much. Speaking wise, I got to think about that one for a second. I know that there's certain groups that I love talking to the most, and it's always the and you don't get them much. You would think that I would do a great a whole lot of like military formals and balls and things like that. You just don't do it because generally the places don't have a big budget. And I don't think that they think that they can afford you. And, and I would go do it for free. I, I love talking to other military units and telling them something that they already know because they get it. The biggest audience I've ever gotten to speak to was the entire, it was kind of a cool gig. It was all the kids that were uh, future farmers of the FFA for the whole state of California and the whole state of Texas. It was an arena. And that was pretty cool that all those kids sat and listened to it. And you could, when you got to meet them at the end, the light and the inspiration that was in their eyes, who they wanted to become and how life was, they were all, they were fired up to go out there and be productive citizens. And I, I enjoyed that. Speaking wise, if you had to ask what's the best thing about it, having done this now for almost 15 years with Premier Speakers, the coolest thing about it is that I have met America more than most. I travel a lot, less than some, but more than most. And I have met the left, I've met the right, I've met the north, and I've met the south. And I can promise you, I have met America Please do not believe what you are being sold on the TV right now. I don't care whether you're a Foxer or a CNNer or a USA Today or do not believe the hype. It is a lie. It is being sold to you that we are a nation that is so fiercely divided. Good thing about the coronavirus dominating the news is that we don't have to hear about that anymore. No matter where I go, whoever they are, everybody wants the exact same things. They want their families to be safe. They want their school systems to be strong. They want their jobs to be secure. They want their nation to be strong. And I think you're seeing that now. When people see it all going away, it's this big reset button. And they're going to have to start thinking of what it is that the things that they really value and that are true to them. We're still 50 stars on that flag. So I always choose to say, hey, we're the United States of America. So God bless America and Rangers lead the way. My name is Kenny Thomas. That is an amazing ending. Kenny, thanks for taking the time. Is there anything else we can cover before we let you out of here? You know, yeah, we started on it on one of the questions up above when you asked me how the story um, has affected my life. And, and, I, and I mentioned the similarity that almost all veterans, especially now, and just because we're not hearing it in the news doesn't mean that it's not happening. We still have men and women over there serving in Afghanistan, and they've been there since 2001. So almost 19 years we're coming up on. We've never had that happen. And I, I want to talk about real quick, because it's something we all are affected. Everybody out there knows somebody, whether it's a family member or a friend or a neighbor or somebody in their on their team. They all know somebody who has served in the military, especially in the last 20 years. And we have a rampant, almost epidemic diagnosis of PTSD in our VA system now, post-traumatic stress. And when you sit down and you talk to the people and you look at the statistics, well over 80% of the people 
that are diagnosed by experts. Hell, I'm one of them. With a PTSD, 80% of the veterans never even saw combat. So why do you think it is that they have these issues that are affecting them? You know, the VA, in the beginning, they tried to drug put people, you know, try to medicate everybody. And I think now they're starting to figure it out. It is different for everybody. But we know the answer. It's when you've had something, even if, you know, in a firefight at its basic human level, that connection that I'm here for you is, is unbreakable and undeniable. Even in a combat zone where maybe those people didn't see combat, but every day they depended on each other. And they knew that their job was important because they've been told from the moment they put on the boots. I don't care whether you're the aircraft refueler, the pack clerk, the cook, the helicopter pilot, you're the stormtrooper kicking in doors and tagging bad guys. You are important and critical to the people around you. You are accountable to those people. When you have that, at its basic human connection level that people in the military have, then all of a sudden they're back out here in the real world. They don't have it anymore. At least they don't believe that they have it anymore. And what I tell them when they come to me, I always ask, how was the transition? Yeah, man, it was tough. And it's always almost the same story. And it's tough because they don't know where they fit in. They don't have that left and they don't have that right, that absolute person who says, I'm going to be there for you. And I try and tell them, I don't really believe that it is a save yourself mentality out here. Even though we've been told that lie, I don't think people really want that. And I think right now, especially what we're going through, Michelle, that's when I talked about that window of opportunity. People are beginning to understand what's really important. Let's harness that. Let's use it. Let's be there for each other when the all clear sign comes up. And let's have each other's back as neighbors, as family, as a citizen, as a community, as a nation. Let's have each other's back. No one takes the hill alone. No one. And I think people are starting to figure that out right now. I think maybe this will give you some insight as to why they may be struggling with that transition. That's what I wanted to put out there. So thank you for asking me that. Thank you for coming by. It's been great to get insight. It's been great to hear from what your perspective is. And hopefully we can, you know, throw that question out there to some of our listeners and what is working for them. And we can brainstorm on how to lead the way, how to take ownership and really inspire. And if you all have a chance or want to get to know Kenny more, grab his book on Amazon, get it on or at KennyThomas.com. And that's spelled K-E-N-I-T-H-O-M-A-S.com. Thank you much, Kenny. Yep. See you. Bye-bye.